0: Welcome to the audio version of my Rwanda Travel Block. Thanks for listening. If you want to read along and see some of the pictures, go to my website, keywordsbykenny.com. That's keywordsxkenny.com. And check out the experiences during residency portion. There you will find week one and week two. Prelude. This trip to Rwanda is a two-week global health elective that I did with a co-resident, Sarah Park, and with two attendings. Dr. Shimel Asher, and Dr. Danny Bowie. Let me introduce you to a couple of the characters. Myself, my name is Kenny, and I am a CA3 resident at Brown University. I'll be graduating this June, and after I graduate, I'm heading to Beth Israel for a critical care fellowship. My co-resident, Sarah, is also a CA3 and graduating at the end of June. In August, she's starting a global health fellowship at Stanford University in California. Dr. Shimel Asher is a cardiac anesthesiologist here at Brown University and Rhode Island Hospital. This is his second time going to Rwanda. He is the U.S. Chair for the Cassia Foundation, which has a partnership with the Sehushka Hospital, otherwise known as the Teaching Hospital of Kigali. Danny Bowie is a recent graduate from the Brown University program and went on this global health elective last year. He is now a junior faculty at Rhode Island Hospital. This travel journal is broken up into two parts, each part being one week of the trip. Listen along as we get into stories about what we saw, what we heard, and what we did. Week one in Rwanda. Day one, Sunday, March 5th, 2023. Our first full day in Kigali was used to set up our team for success. After sleeping in and waking up to the sun peeking in through our bathroom and the birds chirping outside, we managed to do our first group yoga session in the living room. I got everyone to do the Yoga with Adrian 30-day series, hoping that we'd be able to keep up with this on a daily basis throughout our trip. It seemed like everyone was pretty into it from a mental and physical aspect. For me, these yoga series with Adrian helped me accomplish a few things, carving out time to take care of myself, allowing guided meditation to channel positive energy, and becoming silent to hear the sounds around me in a new and foreign place. After we got ready for the day, Dr. Asher was very excited to show us one of his favorite coffee shops. Question Coffee. One of the first signs you'll see when you enter the shop is Powered by Women. It is an NGO sponsored coffee company that employs and empowers women in the community. We ordered some coffee and pastries and got to embrace the true Rwandan coffee experience of sitting and enjoying your coffee with the company and the ambiance of the cafe. This is in contrast to our American culture of grabbing our coffee on the go, ready for the next thing on our to do list. Sitting outside with Shamo and Sarah, We ate and drank and soaked up the sun and views before continuing on our way. The big purpose of the day was to get familiar with walking around the city and neighborhoods, getting SIM cards for our phones and getting a few snacks for our apartment. We started walking up a hill that didn't seem to end until we got to the center of the city. It was here that we got flagged down by a man in an MTN vest, MTN is a local phone company, who walked us over to an area with some more MTN workers that were able to provide us with and activate our SIM cards. It still awes me hearing Dr. Asher talk in Swahili and with an African accent as he interacts with the locals. And then almost instantaneously, he's able to go back to speaking with an American accent with Sarah and me. After getting our phone situated, we went to the mall to pick up some items for the apartment. Once our tasks were completed, we made the trek back home, which luckily was mostly downhill. Once we got home, the plan was to fit in a run around the neighborhood. I introduced Sarah and Shamal to a dice rolling game, Farkle which we played for a little while as the sun started to come down and the temperature cooled off. Around 5pm we mustered up the energy to start our run. We initially went downhill and then slightly uphill as a warm up to our run. After that it was game on. We managed to run all the way back to the city center which is about 2.5 miles from our apartment. On the way back we added an extra loop that got us home right at the 5 mile mark. To be honest this was about twice as far as I was expecting us to run given the amount of hills. Their intense incline, and the heat. But we banded together, persevered, and everyone felt accomplished at the end. After showering, we got ready for dinner. Our first stop was a bar called Ikigai. Scheimel wanted to watch the big soccer game Manchester United versus Liverpool. Unfortunately, his team got destroyed by Liverpool seven to nothing. But shortly after arrival, a power outage made the experience much more memorable. I even learned a new trick of dripping some wax from the candle onto a table to create a stand for the candle to attach to and stay upright. After having a drink, we trekked up to Kanakazana, an Indian restaurant that Shamal had been raving about all day. This may have jinxed his experience for the evening. Even though the menu had an overwhelming amount of options, over 200 items to choose from, the food we ended up ordering was all incredible. Unfortunately, Shamal caught something of a stomach bug that Sarah and I seemed to have evaded. We chalked it up to his fruit juice that he ordered with dinner. We eventually made it home after our late dinner, not really knowing how this was going to affect Dr. Asher going forward. We were all hoping for the best, a quick 24-hour GI bug that would leave as quickly as it came. Day 2, Monday, March 7, 2023. Today was the start of our work-slash-teaching at Sehoshka, which is the teaching hospital of Kigali. I woke up to a text from Shimel asking if we could text our taxi driver to drive us up to the hospital this morning. The walk to work is about a 35-minute walk, pretty much all uphill with three very steep hills along the way. Our original plan yesterday was to be able to walk to work every morning, but it seemed like the fruit juice that he had with dinner last night wasn't treating him so well, thus leading us to taxiing up to the hospital on our first day. The difference in the city from Sunday to Monday was like night and day. There was a lot more traffic today cars, motorcycles, people walking, than there was yesterday. Sundays are pretty much reserved for church and family time, so the streets are pretty empty. But today, we either hit rush hour or it's just the norm to be inches away from the vehicles in front of, next to, and behind you while you're driving. I don't think I could safely keep my hands or elbows outside of the window of our taxi without worrying about getting hit by something next to us. When we arrived to the hospital, we made our way down to the simulation center for the anesthesia residency academic day. There were about 10 residents and one attending waiting outside of the building for the doors to be unlocked. Many of them remembered Dr. Asher from last year and were excited to see him again. We made some quick introductions and pleasantries outside as the person in charge of the simulation center came to unlock the doors so we could start the academic day. The inside of the simulation center was divided into two rooms, a lecture room with a TV for projecting slides, a storage room full of all the simulation equipment and different types of mannequins. The topic for today's morning lectures were perineoplastic syndromes and neuromuscular diseases and their relationship to anesthesia management. The first lecture was given by Theogene. The most memorable part of this lecture was it started with breaking out into two groups and discussing the learning objectives. The point of this was to collect information and then present the information to the rest of the class after about 20 minutes of small group collaboration. This really shifted the ownership of the knowledge base to the majority of the residents, rather than one resident lecturing the class. Theogene's PowerPoint served as a backup to fill in any of the gaps that the groups may have missed during their research. Instead of a whiteboard or a chalkboard, there was poster paper on an easel. One resident would be the scribe, while another resident was presenting the information that was gathered. Everyone was engaged, and no one looked like they were upset about what was being asked of them, a notable contrast from what I've seen back home. After this lecture, there was then a case report about a motorcycle accident causing an upper extremity injury. The residents went through the preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative management of the case again, using the poster paper to outline what was being discussed. If you looked around, you would also notice residents writing down some of the information in their personal notebook, probably collecting the information to review at a later time. It was so apparent that these residents were incredibly book smart and had the knowledge base for engaging medical conversations. There were times that I was so sure of their confidence based on their previous knowledge that when they would say something wrong, I would have to second-guess myself before correcting them. After our break from lunch, the attending who was there for the day led a Jeopardy! session that seemed to be well-received by the residents. We broke into two teams, and the human nature of competing against each other started to come out. Other than the fact that the team names were Premier League soccer names, a lot of the mannerisms reminded me of being back home. There was some teasing of the opposing teams and trying to steal points at every opportunity. My favorite category of the game was fun facts, and the most memorable question from this list was, which animal has the highest baseline blood pressure? It's a giraffe. After Jeopardy, Sarah and I led the residents through a couple of simulation scenarios using the mannequins. The residents were very engaged for this portion. We had one main scenario in mind, esophageal intubation, that ended up flexing into multiple different scenarios for them to work through, like main stem intubation, early extubation, spasm, creating negative pressure pulmonary edema and having to talk to the family about an unintended anesthesia complication i think they really enjoyed having to work through these scenarios as a team one thing that stood out was that the observers couldn't help but creep closer to the scene and start helping their colleagues who were the ones running through the case there was a sense of collectivism amongst them wanting their colleagues to succeed no matter what curveballs or stressors we placed on them another particularly memorable portion of the day Was Shamal was pretty sick all day. He wasn't really able to keep down any food or liquids in his stomach. Throughout the morning session, he would leave the lecture room to walk around outside. I'm pretty sure there were a few times he was hiding behind some trees, dry heaving. At lunchtime, he had ordered some fries and probably ate too many because at the end of our lunchtime, it sounded like none of these fries ended up remaining in his stomach after his trip to the bathroom. After we were done with our sim and it was time to go home, Sarah and I could tell he was in no shape to make the 40-minute walk back home in the heat so we called our cab driver and had him take Shamal home. Meanwhile, Sarah and I went to the grocery store to try and get some bland food to make dinner to help him tolerate some sort of food in his stomach. We also exchanged some money and stopped by the bar next to our apartment to have a drink before heading home for the night. We had some heart-to-heart conversations on our walk home and at the bar about our family life, our relationships, what residency has been like for the past two and a half years, and how we see global health fitting into our future careers. After getting home, we decided to do some yoga before dinner time. Sarah started some rice on the burner, and about halfway through our yoga session, we started to smell something was burning. Turns out the rice was cooking faster than expected and started to disperse smoke throughout our apartment. We quickly removed the rice and put the pot outside before finishing the last 10 minutes of our yoga in our smoke-filled apartment. Somehow, Shamil slept through all the shenanigans and eventually came out to a slightly less smoke-filled apartment. The only real benefit was it probably smoked out some of the mosquitoes that I had accidentally let in the night before after opening up our patio screen door that I didn't realize was slightly ajar. Since our homemade dinner plans were kind of ruined, we ended up just eating some leftovers from dinner the night before and having some snacks that we had around the house. I also taught Shyamal and Sarah how to play Monopoly Deal, which ended up being a hit once they all got the hang of it. We played a bunch of rounds and by the end of the night Shamel was starting to feel much better and gained an appetite for some toast and chips. It was perfect timing to fit the assumed diagnosis of a 24-hour GI bug. Once we eventually got tired, it was time to go to sleep. Day 3, Tuesday, March 7, 2023 Today was our first day in the operating theaters. Luckily, Scheimel's 24-hour stomach bug had subsided and he was feeling well enough this morning to make the 40-minute trek to work. After a light breakfast and coffee at our apartment, we headed up to the hills to Sehushka. This walk is no joke, and inevitably, we ended up arriving to the locker room sweatier than we started the day. In the locker room, there was a locker specifically assigned for F volunteers, stuffed with scrubs, gloves, a couple of white coats, scrub caps, OR shoes, and a bunch of miscellaneous items that I'm sure will become useful when you least expect it. After changing into scrubs, we entered the main operating room theater, where we met one of the CRNAs, Ellie, who showed us around the ORs. He remembered Dr. Asher from last year and, of course, was excited to see him return. We walked by the six main operating rooms as we made our way to the back of the building where the PACU was located. A couple of things stood out during the short walk. Shamal noted that all of the operating room doors were new and had replaced the old, broken doors from last year. The second thing that stood out was many of the surgeries going on were being performed under spinal anesthesia with no sedation. Outside of obstetrics, like in C-sections, this would be unheard of in the U.S but all of these patients seemed to be quite relaxed for the situation they were in, with normal to low heart rates. The third thing that was memorable was the anesthesia machine in the PACU not only had a halothane canister attached to it, but when we turned it on, all the words were in Chinese. So without much knowledge of a typical anesthesia machine and where the buttons usually are, you would be completely lost trying to figure out how this machine works. Unless you know Chinese, of course. After a brief tour of the main ORs, Sarah and I grabbed some white coats before walking outside to the pediatric operating theater where one of the chief residents was working for the day. We met Guillaume in the operating theater where the staff was turning over the room from the previous case. We stuck around for two cases an exam under anesthesia for suspected anorectal prolapse and fistula, and a laparoscopic orchidoplexy. Both patients were about four to six years old. We watched Guillaume do a preoperative evaluation, check the patient's labs induced with a mask induction and maintained general anesthesia with mask ventilation for the first case and an endotracheal tube for the second case. A big contrast between the adult and pediatric ORs is that PD patients were absolutely terrified to be there. They were carried into the operating theater by the nursing staff, kicking and screaming as they were placed on the operating room table. During mask induction, everyone was doing their best to comfort the kids and hold them down until they reached the level of anesthesia that relaxed their muscles and the kicking subsided. The pediatric surgeon had an incredible amount of swagger to him. He was speaking in English to the medical student that was working with him, teaching him how to place IVs after the mask induction. He was also speaking in English to his resident and occasionally to the staff in the room. The reason I point this out is because I think he may have trained abroad and came back to Rwanda to practice his skills. He was also singing along to the music playing in the operating theater and every move he made seemed to come so easy and natural to him. Around lunchtime, Sarah and I left the operating room theater to get some food with Shamel. He brought us to the close by neighborhood of Nyamarambo for some shopping and food. This neighborhood is what I imagine most people think Africa looks like. A bit more rural than where the hospital and our apartment were, the houses were more packed and the streets were congested with fast moving and erratic traffic. We didn't see many tourists walking around here. We wanted to swing by the Nyamarambo Women's Center, which was a storefront that definitely had been targeted towards Americans and tourists, considering the prices were in USD but it was a cool place to see, an all-woman run business with the goods being made right next door to the store that you could look into and see the process. We all got some gifts for our loved ones back home and then continued on our way to seeing more of the town. After walking around some more, we popped into another souvenir shop that was run by a Rastafarian. We got some more gifts for a cheaper price here, not the tourist prices we had previously paid. After we concluded our shopping, we sat down at a restaurant for some lunch. I ordered Ugali which seemed to be a pretty popular staple on the menu with vegetables on the side, not knowing what to expect. Shimel and Sarah had both had it during their time in Kenya and described it as a thick, cake-like rice, but very dense and would used to pick up whatever the side dish it came with. It was so dense that you could basically eat it as your only meal for the day and you would be set for quite a while. Plus, it was only $4, so I had to try it. Once it came out, it was piping hot, and Shyamal taught me how to cool it down in my hands and then create a little pocket to scoop the food up with. It was basically like creating your own scoops chip. After lunch, we walked back to the hospital to touch base with Guillaume about tomorrow's plan. They had just finished a colovesicular fistula case for a four-month-old with severe malnutrition. When Sarah and I walked in, they had just extubated the patient and were waiting on a transfer to the pediatric ward. We clarified the timing of morning report tomorrow and asked if he could send us the operating room assignments for tomorrow. I also asked him if he could show us where the ICU was but after getting a response that didn't hide his exhaustion from the day, I told him we can figure it out tomorrow. I can appreciate how physically and mentally draining a day in the pediatric ORs can be. After exchanging phone numbers, we headed out for the evening. While we were changing in the locker room, one of the attending anesthesiologists introduced himself to us. Turns out he's a regionally trained anesthesia consultant and is one of the faculty staff here at Zehushka. It was perfect timing because we were looking for a point person to hand off the supplies that we had brought with us. Before changing out of our scrubs, we ended up back in the main ORs with him. He discussed his fellowship training with us and a WFSA conference that he was headed to next week or so, abroad in India, I believe. We then entered the OR with him for an induction of a patient who was getting a large skin graft to his upper extremity after a burn. The patient had an external jugular line that was being used for induction. We checked out some of the emergency medication vials that were in the anesthesia setup area, such as ephedrine, epinephrine, and atropine. We also got to see a patient who was finishing up having wrist surgery under a supraclavicular block, again with no sedation, wide awake. After leaving the hospital, Shamal wanted to do a little more shopping for his son on our way home. We ended up stopping at a store that had multiple vendors selling similar souvenirs, but we found one vendor that was selling Rwandan soccer jerseys. We ended up all getting a shirt and wearing them out to dinner that night. We went to a restaurant called Heaven, which Shamal was very vocal about not being excited about. He had gone last year and said it was overpriced for what it was. But he was on our way home and it seemed like a reasonable place from the outside to at least try out. But ultimately he was right. We were paying American prices for slightly better than average African-style food. We definitely have had much tastier meals for a fraction of this cost. But the evening wasn't defined by the food. It was more memorable for the conversations that we had. We all bonded over our upbringing, all having Asian parents and struggling with the mental weight of appeasing our parents while furthering our careers and adapting to a rapidly changing world around us. The twist of the conversation was hearing Shamal's perspective of becoming a dad and how much thought goes into every decision you make for your child. We discussed how dinner time is a great time to connect with your family, especially with the unpredictable schedule of working in medicine and having late and overnight calls scattered throughout your week. Shamal mentioned a way to organize your thoughts and get everyone talking at the dinner table by discussing a rose, a thorn, and a butt. Something good that happened, something not so good that happened, and something you're hoping for. After leaving the restaurant, we were close by to our apartment when we passed Ikigai, our neighborhood bar. It sounded like there was some live music coming from inside, so I convinced everyone to check it out. Once we got inside, we found the singer who was walking around with a microphone, singing songs in multiple different languages. We saw the lyrics on a TV screen and anticipated that this was karaoke. Shortly after getting our drinks, he started playing Perfect by Ed Sheeran, one of my favorite songs we were all singing along and i started taking a video as i pulled out my phone one of the bartenders eric who recognized us and knew our names grabbed the phone from my hand and started walking around the restaurant recording the singer and then recording us as we sang along not too long after this song sarah requested the performer to play a saudi soul song one of shamel's favorite bands he played the song isabella a beautiful song that shamel knew every word to He grabbed the second microphone and started singing aloud from our table. This was a perfect way to finish off our long day before walking a short two minutes down the hill to our apartment. Day 4, Wednesday, March 8th, 2023. This morning we were moving with pace up the hill to the hospital. We were on a mission to make it to morning report with the anesthesia department at the hospital before the surgical cases started for the day. Morning Report is when the overnight residence presents an interesting case that came in overnight. The case I was discussed today was a traumatic brain injury from a motorcycle accident, a very common mechanism of action that lands patients into the operating room. The program director, Dr. Francois, was leading the discussion after the resident presented the case. She called on various residents and medical students to answer questions related to head injuries, the Cushing reflex, and management of increased intracranial pressure. One of the points that Dr. Francois pointed out and drove home to her residence was that it wasn't enough to just know what happens with the Cushing reflex, but why it happens. This led to a good discussion of the glossopharyngeal and vagus nerves and how they lead to bradycardia from increased blood pressure sensed by the aortic and carotid baroreceptors. After morning report, we headed to the operating rooms. Sarah headed to the pediatric operating theater where a four-month old was having bladder reconstructive surgery. This was projected to be an all-day event, Shamla and I bounced around the main operating theaters, teaching the residents and medical students who were around. The first case that I was in was a six-month-old getting a VP shunt. One thing that stands out about their pediatric cases is that there are no pediatric fellowship trained anesthesiologists in these cases, but the generalists are taking care of sick, tiny patients, and they do an amazing job at it. The airway was not straightforward for this case and involved multiple looks with the laryngoscope, eventually downsizing to a three and a half uncuffed tube to fit through the vocal cords although the resident seemed a bit nervous honestly i would be too the attending and the crna in the room were relaxed and handled the situation with ease as the rest of the case proceeded we found the ugh medical students to do some teaching with them i was mostly working with a medical student named fred he was incredibly book smart as well i went over the layers you passed through with a spinal needle as well as dosing, types, and characteristics of local anesthetics that we use. He pretty much knew all the answers to my questions. When I asked him what he wanted to go into, he told me internal medicine because of how much thinking and intelligence it takes to be an IM physician. I encouraged him to consider a future in anesthesiology and possibly even consider critical care medicine to fulfill the urge of IM. It was just another example of how smart these students in Rwanda truly are. Before we took a break for lunch, one of the attendings told us about a POCUS workshop that would be taking place on Thursday and Friday of this week and asked if we would be willing to help out. Of course, we jumped on the opportunity since this was something that we were already trained in and were extremely passionate about. Another attending had flagged Dr. Asher down to let him know that there was a thoracic case going on today for an empyema washout. Shamal told him that we actually had brought double lumen tubes with us but that they were back at our apartment. The attending offered Dr. Asher to borrow his car to go pick up the tubes but given how crazy the traffic is in Kigali, it didn't seem like the best move. Shamil had actually offered me up to go literally run back and grab the tubes from the apartment, but the attending ultimately decided that they would do the case another day. After some tea time for lunch, we headed to the ICU where we met up with Theogene. He seemed very busy at the time that we found him, finishing up paperwork and signing orders for the nurses. So we briefly chatted with him and then started to walk around the ICU on our own, checking out vent settings and infusions. As we were walking around, Theogene ended up joining us and discussing a few of the sicker patients in the ward. One of the conversations we had was about sedation, specifically for a patient who came in post-craniotomy. The sedation that they use in the ICU is called KFM, which stands for ketamine, fentanyl, and midazolam. The doses are either 100 mg, 100 micrograms, and 10 mg per hour, or 50, 50, and 5. Although, in this case, they left out the ketamine to reduce any harm or excitation to the brain. We discussed the concept of context-sensitive half-life with fentanyl and the potential accumulation of midazolam with renal failure and how these patients may take 12 to 24 hours to wake up even after you discontinue this infusion. We then start to talk about our sedation practices in the U.S., which usually involves propofol or dexmedetomidine. We also discuss propofol-related infusion syndrome, which can lead to lactic acidosis, renal failure, and oddly enough, green-tinted urine. Once we were done chatting with the Eugene, Asher and I walked home for the day. We were determined to get another run in on this trip, and this seemed like a good evening for it. So once we got home, we changed and found a route that was going to take us to new parts of the city. Once we got running up the first hill, we were dying. The first part of the run that was pretty much only uphill turned into a walk, jog, and walk some more. Once we hit the flat portion, we picked up some speed and headed to the roads behind the Marriott. Now traveling downhill, we found some new restaurants and cafes, saw the other side of the presidential palace, and found the building sites of some new age condos. Outside the palace stood armed guards, and at one point, we were running towards their direction. One guard started to remove his hat, and I immediately told Asher we should turn around. I didn't think the optics looked very favorable in our position. In another part of town, we passed a Montessori school where Asher stopped to take a picture to send to his wife, Saima, for future reference. After showering off, we started working on our QI project that was going to be implemented during the two-day POCUS course coming up. Sarah and I made worksheets for the residents to write their answers down for the pre- and post-test. Shamal worked on the presentation portion of the exam that would be displayed in the front of the classroom. It contained four images, each with five questions, including Name This View, and identify the structures labeled. Shamul also took over the DJing for the house and was playing Saudi Soul while we finished up our work before heading out for dinner. For dinner we went to a restaurant called Bistro Cafe. It was located on the third floor of a hotel and the views from the windows and the cities were absolutely incredible. The food was also quite good as well. We learned a lot about Shamul during this dinner like his father's business, a restaurant that he used to go to as a kid in Kenya that opened up a location in Chicago, and his obsession with fancy football that has since toned down. When we first got to Bistro, we had talked about going to the rooftop bar, but at the end of the night, we all decided that we were too tired and wanted to go home. Asher pulled out another NBA lesson and talked about the journey to Abilene, a story about a family that ends up going to a place they think they all wanted to go to, but once they arrive, they realize everyone there is miserable. The lesson is if one person had spoken up, they would have all realized that they were all thinking the same thing that was different from their original plan. Moral of the story, we headed home after dinner and enjoyed an early bedtime before a busy day tomorrow. Day five, Thursday, March 9th, 2023. Today was another education day with the residents. There were two visiting anesthesiologists from Poland who were invited to give the ultrasound workshop over the course of the next two days. This worked out perfectly for us for two reasons. One, we had Shamal with us, who's a cardiac anesthesiologist And co-taught our POCUS curriculum back home, and two, the Rwandan residents were very excited about learning and using ultrasound. When we first got to the hospital, some of the residents were waiting outside of the simulation center for the doors to be opened. We had brought a few double lumen tubes with us this time and proved to be useful because of the patient that they had in the OR schedule who needed the washout for his lung empyema. When we started showing the residents the double lumen tubes, Dr. Asher immediately went into teaching mode, and started going over the basics of single lung ventilation. As residents were arriving, they gathered around us as we discussed how double lumen tubes work to selectively ventilate the right or the left lung. Once the doors were open, Sarah and I set up our cardiac POCUS images. Luckily, the guest speakers were running late, so we had time to administer our pretest to the 10 residents before the workshop officially started. Once the residents finished the tests, the speakers still weren't there, so Sarah and I started to do chalk talks on the poster board and easel setup, discussing why we use POCUS, the six etiologies for hypotension, and the determinants of myocardial oxygen supply and demand. The guest speakers eventually showed up towards the end of our talk and began their own PowerPoint presentations on the eFAST and lung ultrasound exams. After each presentation, the residents would break out into two groups and scan the patient models that were there for the day. The guests with Poland brought a couple portable ultrasounds that were really good quality, good enough that you could even see the bladders filling from the ureters when scanning the pelvis. There were two patient models, and the residents scanned from both sides of each patient. The three of us split up between the various groups to walk each resident through scanning the lungs, abdomen, and pelvis. They were all so eager to get their hands on the ultrasound probe. When we were scanning the lungs, Raymond, one of the PGY2s, showed me pictures of a case that he had where a patient had the absence of lung sliding and ended up having a pneumothorax. He said the reason he knew what he was doing was from Googling it, but was never formally trained on lung ultrasound. Didn't really seem to matter. His intuition and resourcefulness got him to the proper endpoint. When it was time for lunch, Shomel wanted us to come to the OR with him because one of the consulting anesthesiologists was requesting his opinion about a case of a 50-ish year old woman who was coming in for a submandibular gland surgery who previously had an event of cardiac arrest when she had her other side operated on we went to the operating room theater where she was already on the or table and the staff looked ready to proceed after a quick POCUS assessment there wasn't anything overtly wrong with her heart there were no records from the previous surgery either to help us fill in the details of the cardiac arrest ultimately the consultant anesthesiologist did not feel comfortable proceeding without a post-operative admission plan And cardiology workup. The patient's case was ultimately canceled and she was admitted to the hospital for further workup. As we walked away from the ORs, the three of us discussed how we could have handled this if this case was in the U.S. and the negative consequences of canceling a case, especially from the patient's perspective and everything they had to get to to get to this point. We quickly had some lunch in the attending tent as the residents started to head back into the classroom. Eating in the attending tent was a special occasion for the residents and our group. Shamel said they never got to do this last year. And the food was pretty good too. Hot and fresh African dishes like rice, beans, beef stew, and potatoes. Once we returned to the classroom, we finished up some cardiac physiology chalk talks as we waited for the polling guests to rejoin the group. Then the rest of the afternoon was spent scanning whatever the residents were interested in. I first led my group through vascular scanning for IV and arterial axis, first looking at the internal jugular and then at peripheral sites. Then we moved on to scanning for regional blocks, going through the four brachial plexus sites, tap blocks, and ESP blocks. The models had such great anatomy to demonstrate the differences between the transverse process and the rib lungs when scanning for the ESP block, with just the slightest change in the angle of the probe. I explained that the average BMI in this country is much, much lower than the average BMI back home in the US. Once we wrapped up scanning for the afternoon, we invited the residents out for some dinner and drinks. They picked a place called German Butchery that was about a 5-10 to minute walk from the hospital. They all seemed pretty excited about hanging out outside of work. After learning more about their personal stories, it doesn't sound like this happens very often. Mainly because they all have families with kids at home, some of whom live up to 3 hours away from their work. So when the opportunity came up, they really jumped on it. And it was a blast hanging out with all of them and seeing them interact and joke around in a non-clinical and non-academic setting. This was evidence that you can really connect with people over food and drinks. As residents slowly dispersed to make their buses home for the evening, we wrapped up the bill and headed out for our next event for the night. Jackson was one of the graduates from Sehushka Anesthesia Residency and knew Dr. Asher from the vast simulation courses in Canada. He invited us out for dinner at the Great Wall of China. We got in a taxi and made our way to a part of town that we hadn't seen yet. It still amazes me how much Asian influence there is in Rwanda cuisine. When we arrived, we found Jackson waiting for us. He had finished a busy day of sedation cases at KFH, which is the King Faisal Hospital, before meeting up with us. The food was pretty good, but the conversation was the best part of our evening. Jackson is a fun, interesting, and humble guy to talk to. He talked to us about all the places that the VAST program has taken him for simulation courses. His favorite place in the world that he's ever been was Dubai, which he went to by visiting one of the Global Health Fellows, and was there for only less than twenty four hours. He talked about his time on a boat that traveled around the coast of Europe and Africa that served as a mobile hospital, stopping at various ports along its path. We also talked a bit about the goals for the residency program and how to create a research presence to allow the residents to have publications on their resume once they graduate. After finishing dinner, we said our goodbyes and headed on our way home for the evening. Once we got home, we played a lot of rounds of Monopoly deal. Once Sarah and Asher tasted victory, they wanted more of it. And since the games only lasted about 15 to 20 minutes, it was easy to say one more game. Once we finally exhausted ourselves, we headed to bed for the evening to rest up for another full day of POCUS teaching. Day six, Friday, March 10th, 2023. Day two of our POCUS workshop started with morning report with the whole department of anesthesiology. Ironically, Robert was presenting on aortic stenosis this morning. Prior to that, Guillaume presented the overnight cases. It sounded like a very busy night. One of the cases he discussed was a pediatric patient with a bowel obstruction from ascariasis, which is a parasite or a roundworm invasion of the intestines. He said that the patient ended up having an 8 centimeter bowel resection with milking of the rest of the bowel to remove any residual infection of the parasites. Without getting into too much detail, he said there were thousands of parasites that were ultimately removed. Unfortunately, when patients present with peritonitis from this infection, the mortality is quite high. Once Guillaume was done, Robert presented his PowerPoint on aortic stenosis. This was a nice setup for the rest of our academic day, which was going to be focused on cardiac ultrasound. After his presentation, Dr. Francois turned to the residents and had them consider what type of anesthesia would be safest for a pregnant patient with aortic stenosis who needed an urgency section it's a good reminder for everyone in the room that although aortic stenosis can be a scary underlying diagnosis, it is not a complete contraindication for neuroaxial anesthesia. Because they do not use arterial lines frequently here, the biggest difficulty would be close hemodynamic monitoring after the sympathectomy from an epidural or a spinal. Today's ultrasound focus was on the cardiac exam. This was our favorite topic to teach, probably because Asher's cardiac background and my interest in the ICU. The residents were also very excited about incorporating the exam into their rounds in the ICU. We had the same models from yesterday, and the younger of the two patients had almost textbook anatomy for the patients to practice on. While we were scanning with the residents, the polling guests brought small groups of residents to the ICU to scan real patients with potential pathology. For the residents who stayed in the sim center, once they got the hang of the four views of the heart, we started getting into more advanced topics like assessing for valve regurgitation, and identifying the specific cusps of the mitral and aortic valves. Their favorite part of the exam was a subcostal window and assessing the IVC size. A previous group had taught them to use this as a way to assess volume status. The biggest learning pearl I could teach them was to first obtain the subcostal four-chamber view and then rotate the probe 90 degrees, which will allow you to see the IVC emptying into the right atrium. This would help differentiate the IVC from the aorta, which are in close proximity and can be easily confused. We were scanning right up until lunch. In fact, the last thing that I had looked at with a few residents was getting the view of an IVC and doing a passive leg race test to see how the preload bolus would affect its size and collapsibility. Since our model was already pretty dehydrated and had a collapsing IVC, the passive leg race showed a significant difference in the IVC, and the quality of the ultrasound was so good that you could see the flow of volume through the vessel itself. Dr. Francois just happened to be walking by while we were doing this. And she was amazed, calling it magic. Today at lunch, I sat with the residents and chatted more about our personal lives. They couldn't believe that I had been married for almost four years and had no children. They said that if a couple was married in Rwanda and didn't have children within two years, people would start to assume that their wife was infertile. It made me appreciate the lack of pressure in my life to have a kid in my current phase. I also heard about the pay discrepancy for anesthesiologists in Rwanda compared to neighboring countries where they can make 10 times the salary than they do here in Rwanda. This usually causes a few anesthesiologists each year to move out of the country to practice medicine, adding to the disparity of total anesthesiologists available in the country of Rwanda. After lunch, we distributed our post-workshop quiz to the residents, going over the four echo images from the pretest. After everyone completed the test, we went over the answers as a group. It was clear based on the speed of their responses that they picked up some knowledge over the past day and a half and felt comfortable naming structures on different echo views. I am hopeful that the hands on practice will help them incorporate these skills into their patient assessments. Once we wrapped up the echo discussion, I filled in the rest of the afternoon lecture time by going over a case of an elderly woman who fell and fractured her hip requiring surgery, who also happened to have aortic stenosis. I wanted to bring back the conversation that started this morning about aortic stenosis and how we can manage these patients under spinal for orthopedic cases, like a femur fixation. We started with a pre-op evaluation, which led into the intraoperative management of this patient using a spinal technique. I then incorporated some other resuscitation topics like transfusion complications, such as trolley and hyperkalemia. This took us till about the 3 p.m. hour, and I could tell the residents were ready to get an early start on their weekend. Dr. Asher was headed home this evening, and I'll never forget his goodbye speech to the residents. They were all sad to see him go, but appreciative of the time and effort he put into their education this week. Why do we all love mangoes, he asked. Would we love them as much if they were available, sweet, and ripe all year long? Probably not. We appreciate the ripe and sweet mangoes because you can only get them during certain times of the year. Think of me like that mango. It's easy to appreciate moments like this when they happen seasonally. The residents all had a riot with this speech. As we walked outside, he whispered in my ear, that mango thing just came to me, but I think my African connection really came through there. He was 100% correct. As Shyamal and I walked back to the apartment for the last time together, we decided to stop at Hotel de Mille Collin to have one last debrief together. This was a hotel that the movie Hotel Rwanda was based on. After seeing the movie, the location holds a lot of emotional weight in my eyes. As we walked into the entrance of the hotel, I had goosebumps on my arm thinking about the scenes in the movie of the buses of volunteers leaving the local Rwandans to hide out in this hotel. As we sat by the pool and had some juice together, I asked him to recap how global health has become integrated into his anesthesia career. Being born and raised in Kenya is ultimately the root of his passion for giving back to Africa. But his first experience with global health is ironically being not selected to travel to Kenya with the ASA Global Health Initiative when he was a Brown medical student. The irony came full circle when he was selected to be the representative at large for the ASA Global Health Committee just a couple years ago. Then there was an opening to become the U.S. chair for the KASIEF Foundation, which is responsible for this project in Rwanda that we're currently working on. The theme that I was picking up on was that things fell into place when the timing was right and he was able to ultimately be in a position to feel proud about the work he was doing without forcing anything. This was also the theme for this past week. Without forcing anything and allowing flexibility, we found ourselves in very rewarding positions where our knowledge and skills were valued. Day 7, Saturday, March 11, 2023 Finally, the weekend had arrived. I was getting quite exhausted towards the end of this week. It felt like I had been on call all week, only getting around three to four hours of sleep per night, between the jet lag and wanting to keep up with journaling slash posting updates at nighttime once everyone went to sleep. Sleeping in this morning was really nice, and the rest of the day was going to be focused on moving at a relaxed pace. After getting ready for the day, I headed to Question Coffee to grab some breakfast and take advantage of a beautiful place to do some journaling. There were significantly more people there than we had seen a week ago when we first arrived. Specifically, there were a few kids who seemed to be European or American based on their accent. Their parents were also around, but the kids seemed pretty independent in terms of entertaining themselves. I overheard two kids talking about a friend of theirs who was also coming to Rwanda. One of the girls said, You know how we can make someone feel special? We can make a sign for them at the airport that says, Welcome to Rwanda! The selflessness and insight in these kids was unparalleled. Once finishing up breakfast, I got a day pass at one of the hotels in the city center to get some exercise in. Included in the day pass was access to the locker rooms, which had a sauna, a hot tub, and a shower to rinse off. After showering off, I spent the rest of my time at Kigali Serena journaling some more. I had some incomplete memories from the weekdays that I wanted to go back and complete before they faded from my mind. I also was able to compile some pictures and thoughts for Twitter and videos to make a short reel about the POCUS workshop we had just helped with. Twitter apparently became a great resource to not only connect with the residents of Sehushka, but also with physicians associated with Stanford Anesthesia who had visited Rwanda as well. When I left Serena... I walked to another part of town to have a quick bite to eat before picking up Danny from the airport. On my walk, a man came up to me and started having small talk. Once he realized I was from the U.S., we started talking about basketball. He talked to me about his love for the Chicago Bulls and all of the Michael Jordan teams. We then started talking about Steph Curry and the Warriors being more famous in the present day. Once I got close to my location, I slowed down and stopped in front of the shopping mall. That's when he started to tell me that he was picking up HIV medicine from Sehushka. And was on his way home, but was hoping that I could buy him some juice concentrate for his family that they could use for the next few weeks. His story and our interaction was different than any typical begging you encountered when walking around the streets of Kigali, so I felt inclined to help him. After buying him a couple bottles of juice, we went our separate ways, but not before he graciously thanked me for my small act of kindness. The thing that stuck with me the most was that he was expecting people from my country to be shut off to people like him and not give him the time of day. This left me somewhere between sad and proud of the interaction we had. Even if you want to see the story as someone targeting me and using me for my money, this simple act of kindness was worth more than the $15 I spent on Jews for his family. In my view, providing food and drinks to someone is a good compromise for helping random people who are asking for money. I eventually reached the location that I thought would be quote-unquote the best Nigerian food in Rwanda based on my Google Maps. However, This location turned out to be a soccer bar where people were piled in watching the main events for the Saturday afternoon. After looking at the menu, I ordered a beer with some fries while I watched the games as well. Unfortunately, the fries were taking a considerable amount of time to come out and at a certain point I had to leave in order to make sure I could make it to the airport on time for Danny. But the views from the city from this top floor bar and watching Rwandans enjoy soccer and playing pool was a priceless scene. Once I got back to the apartment, Cyril, our taxi driver, picked me up and we headed to the airport to pick up Danny. I brought my safari hat and a sign that said, Welcome Dr. Danny Bowie on it as a welcome sign inspired by the two girls at Question Coffee this morning. Right outside the airport, Cyril and I both had to get out of the car and walk through a security booth with a metal detector while the vehicle went through a security checkpoint that resembled something similar to a car wash. This was my first time going to the airport, so I had no idea what was going on or that we were close to the airport. After getting back in the car and driving 30 seconds into the airport parking lot, I realized that this was an airport security checkpoint. Unfortunately, Danny did not see me holding my sign amongst all the people waiting for the FIFA conference attendees. He took an early turn and didn't walk past where I was standing. But after he called my phone, we quickly found each other and headed back to the neighborhood to meet up with Sarah. We went to Bistro for dinner, our second time at this restaurant. One funny realization that we had with Danny was we could order meat dishes and have family-style dinners where we could pass around and share each entree without any dietary restrictions. After a yummy dinner at Bistro, we headed towards our favorite neighborhood bar, Ikigai for karaoke night. We knew based on our last time that we were there that karaoke was also gonna be going on on Saturday evening. When we got there, it started pouring hard, so we ended up staying longer than we initially intended. But the best part about staying longer Was we heard more local Rwandans sing karaoke, and it seemed like everyone that sang was a professional singer. One girl sang Alicia Key's Everything's Gonna Be Alright, and I swear it was better than the original. Not too long after she sang, Sarah went up to her, and they quickly became friends. Eventually, after realizing that the rain was not slowing up anytime soon, we decided to scurry our way home and get drenched in about five minutes of rain until we were in the comfort of our apartment. Check out the next episode, The Kigali Tapes Part 2, to see what stories I have from our second week in Rwanda. Thanks for listening.